So this morning I'd like you to stand as I read from God's Word. I'm going to be reading from Jeremiah. And this is from Jeremiah 17, and the Bible says in verse 5, This is what the Lord says, Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who depends on flesh for his strength, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. He will be like a bush in the wastelands, and he will not see prosperity when it comes. And he will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. So that's kind of the not-so-fun part. Now here's the really good news. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. And he will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. It leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. My uh, text this morning is going to be about unity, but I think in starting out this service this morning is uh, an acknowledgement of asking who are we trusting in in our lives? Are we trusting in man or are we trusting in God? Because there's a huge difference in the trajectory of those two different trusts. So we're going to put our trust in the Lord and we're going to call upon him to bless this time, anoint this time. So will you pray with me as we begin the service? Father, we thank you so much for our opportunity here to gather together to lift up the name of Christ. Help us to be people who are are putting our trust in you and not in ourselves, not in man, but that our confidence is in the Lord God Almighty. And Lord, you would be our rock and you would be our refuge. You'd be the one that we go to for provision and we would seek you in all of our ways, Father, and you would set our paths in the right direction. We thank you for this, Lord. Just as a tree planted by water, I pray that your anointing would come and fill our lives, Father, so we can grow deeper in our relationship with you and we can be a blessing to those around us. Father, meet us here now. Meet every need that's walked in this room and in this building. And we pray, Father, you'd minister to our hearts in such a powerful, tangible, and real way. And we thank you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'd invite you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 17, starting in verse 20 is where we're at today. John 17. My message this morning is entitled, The Power of One. And this is a message on unity. I really felt like the Lord had placed this on my heart for us this morning. And this is uh, hopefully a message that will bring greater unity in several areas. And the first, I hope, in our uh, relationships that we have, whether it be in your marriage or in your family or in the workplace, whatever that might look like, I hope that today would be an encouragement to you to seek unity in relationships. Also, I hope as a church, faith community church, this will be a message that stirs us together in unity and uh, one that causes us to come together and uh, see what God does when people are living in unity like that. And then lastly, uh, recognizing there's other believers in our surrounding communities. They may not attend here at faith, but they are uh, people who love Jesus and want to see his kingdom grow. And how can we have unity 
uh, with people in those situations in that regard. So hopefully as we unpack this message today, you'll see opportunities and ways that you can grow in unity in those relationships in our church and in the surrounding community. And, uh, you know, I want to start this morning with just a little bit of an illustration that uh, if it just takes one person to kind of get off base and the unity begins to fade and, and fall to pieces and there's discord. And when I was uh, 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 probably a freshman or uh, sophomore in high school, our football coach pulled us aside one day because he felt like maybe uh, there was a little bit of discord within the team. And uh, he shared an illustration of what he called the loose cannon. And if you've ever heard of that, uh, he basically unpacked it for all of us genius high schoolers. Uh, we knew everything, right? And so he unpacked that for us and said, look, uh, when a ship is in rough seas, that loose cannon will begin to rock with the ship. And now the momentum of that cannon makes the ship rock even more in the midst of that sea. And so he was talking about making sure that there's no loose cannons on the football team, otherwise it'll destroy the unity and basically your season's gonna fall to pieces. And I've heard of stories in which coaches have shared their frustration that they have an incredibly talented team, but the lack of unity has kept them from being all that they could be in that season. And so that's a, maybe a secular illustration for you, but in the midst of that, recognizing that just a little bit of discord can cause frustration and, and even limit the potential of whatever that team or that unit might be. And so in the midst of that, I do want to say that uh, people can be unified for the wrong reasons. And so before we even get rolling this morning, I want to break down what godly unity looks like. And I basically unpacked this in three little things for you. The first one is this, is that godly unity will glorify God and no one else. So at that point, when we, when we come together, when we rally together, godly unity will be to glorify God. The next part is, is it doesn't compromise truth. And in other words, it won't go against God's word, which is inerrant, infallible, inspired by God. It's his word. And if we're going to rally together about something, it's going to line up with God's word. It won't compromise truth. And the last part of godly unity is that it will advance the kingdom. Not our kingdom, not the advancement of things that uh, don't necessarily matter in 100 years, but it will advance God's kingdom. So godly unity will glorify God, no one else. Godly unity won't compromise truth, and godly unity advances the kingdom. And so with that in mind, as we break down this term unity and the concept of being together, being one, let us recognize that we're talking about this kind of unity, unity that glorifies God, doesn't compromise truth, and advances the kingdom. That's the kind of unity that we need to strive for in our relationships. I hope that you're striving for a marriage that advances the kingdom of God. I hope that you're striving for relationship dynamics within your family that in the midst of that advances the kingdom, glorifies God, and doesn't compromise truth. Those are big three pieces to godly unity. And I want to look at John chapter 17 when Jesus is praying over his disciples. 
And this is like the last night that he's with them. And uh, if you know the Lord's Supper or the Last Supper, they're in the upper room. Jesus is washing their feet, and he talks about serving each other and being servants. And then they break the uh, bread and have the cup, and Jesus talks about the significance of that. And in the midst of that, Jesus takes a moment to pray for these disciples in this special moment. And he begins to pray some very powerful things over them. And what's interesting in this prayer is as he's praying for them, in verse 20, he goes from this little group that's in the room and he shoots it out much bigger than those guys that were in the room. And you'll see how he does that starting in verse 20. Jesus says, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. So I'm not a super smart man, but I think I can read that and say, I think that's for us, right? Are you somebody who believes in the message that came from those disciples? The answer to that would likely be yes. So now we can lean in. Jesus is praying about us here in 2018, and here's what he has to say. He says, I pray that they will all be one. Now he's praying to the Father, so he's saying, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. And I have given them the glory that you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. And I am in them and you are in me. And may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want these whom you have given to me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory that you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. So I want to break down what Jesus is saying here because I think it's incredibly profound. I was reading this in our Bible initiative. How many of you remember reading John chapter 17? And as I was reading it, this section just leaped out and God said, speak on that the next time you preach. And what stuck out to me is some incredible things regarding unity in Jesus' prayer. And some things we need to know about unity, and uh, this is pulled from verse 20, and also if you back up a little bit and go to verse 11. First thing we need to know about unity, it's something that we have to pray for. It doesn't just happen. Now, I do understand that Scripture says that the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf, so we know that for those who are followers of Christ, the Holy Spirit is praying for you, whether you know it or not. The Bible says it. That's a promise from Scripture. But I do think it's something that we have to be intentional about. And as we pray, it sets up our mindset to say, I want to live in unity. When we pray for unity, it brings the awareness up in ourselves. But in the midst of that, I think there's a blessing that comes from asking God for his favor and blessing over us and our relationships and our congregation and with other followers of Christ. When Jesus says, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but for all who will ever believe in me through their message. You know, Jesus is praying for unity for us. If Jesus, on his last night with the disciples, 
makes that kind of prayer for us, to me, I think it's important that we should be praying for that as well. And in verse 11, he says, protect them by the power of your name so that they will be united just as we are. So that tells me that we've got somebody that's coming after us. If Jesus is saying protect them, that means there's somebody over here that's like, oh man, I can't wait to start stirring things up. And if I can get unity to fall to pieces, I'll render these followers of Christ ineffective. And this entity over here, we know who that is, and that's Satan, the enemy. He wants to destroy unity. And so Jesus' prayer is protect them. Protect them by my name so that they will be united. It's an incredibly important thing for followers of Christ to be united together. We pray for it. We pray for protection, and we ask God for unity. Another thing to note that's important is unity is attainable. You know, it might seem impossible with us as sinners, right? We make mistakes. We, at times, maybe don't make the best choices, or we say the wrong thing, or we act a certain way. We've had a long day. We're stressed. We all of a sudden open our mouth and say something we shouldn't have said. Raise your hand if you've ever done that. Okay, a few of you. Well, half of you, please come up and read uh, the rest of our text and deliver this message. I don't know about you, but there's been times where I've maybe been stressed or whatever, and I say something, I go, I shouldn't have said that. I should not have said that. But the thing you got to know is Jesus, what he says, helps us understand that unity is attainable. And it's in verse 22. He goes, I've given them the glory that you gave me. He's speaking to the Father. I've given these disciples and those who will believe in that message the glory just as you've given me, so that they may be one as we are one. Now, what's the glory that Jesus is talking about there? And there's several interpretations on that, but I, just breaking it down as simply as I can, this glory that God is speaking of is this character of Christ, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is saying, the glory that you've given me, Father, I've given them. And so because of that, they can do this. It's not impossible to be unified because I've given the capabilities of this to my followers. The last piece that I think is incredibly important is that unity is a testimony. It's a witness to the world around us. If followers of Christ can't be unified, What person on the outside of these doors is going to be like, I want to be involved in that. That looks like fun. They're all mad at each other. (laughs) So we already see the practical implications of not being unified, but Jesus says this in verse 21 and 23. I want to start with 23. He says, may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them. So may they experience such perfect unity so that people will come to know who God is. That tells me that if there's discord, and right over here the enemy's trying to fire away and try to cause dissension and all these different things in our relationships and the dynamics that flow from that, it can hinder the advancement of the kingdom. That's why earlier when I said godly unity advances the kingdom. And we need to strive for that. 
And earlier he says in verse 21, may they be in us so that the world will believe. There's like a cause and effect, right? If, they, if we're in Christ and we're in this all together, we can advance the kingdom. But if we're not on the same page, it will greatly hinder the message of Christ. You know, the Bible goes on to speak about unity in several other places. Now, depending on what translation you have, the earlier translations like King James Version or New King James Version, unity, the word unity only shows up three times in the scriptures. In Psalm 133, which I'll get to in a second, and then in Ephesians chapter 4, it shows up a couple times in Ephesians chapter 4. But the concept of unity is throughout. You'll find that in a number of places in Scripture. And I want to look quick at a few spots. In Ephesians 4, like I said earlier, the Bible says to make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. So Jesus says he wants us to be united, and now God is speaking through Paul, saying we should be united, make every effort. So if there is an issue that we need to talk about, don't ignore it. The Bible says make every effort to keep united. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, Paul says, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ to live in harmony with each other and let there be no divisions in the church. God's incredibly serious about this. Rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. Now I want to just stop for a second. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Now Paul wrote, they think, four different letters to the Corinth church, and two of them we have in the scriptures, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. And when he writes this letter, right out the gate in chapter 1, he starts talking about unity. Let there be no divisions in the church, rather be united. That's like the first thing he goes after in this letter to the Corinthians. And I want to tell you something about this Corinthian church, because I'm just going to tell you right now, it was messed up. It was messed up. Some of the issues is they were having these like, well, this leader is better than this leader. And like, I was baptized by this guy. Oh, yeah, well, I was baptized by this guy. And they had these divisions within the church, and they were elevating leaders. Again, we're not glorifying God. We're glorifying man when we start to do that. And that was an issue in the church. Another issue, there was a man that was having sexual relations with his mother-in-law. And Paul begins to speak to him about that. And there were people that were getting drunk off of communion. And there was disorder with the gifts of the Spirit that were happening when they would get together. And all of these things were happening in the church in Corinth. And these Corinthian believers had some issues going on. And the first thing Paul addresses is unity. Yeah, we got a lot of stuff to work through here, Corinth. But you got to be together and if we can't get on the same page with that, all these other issues, they won't get taken care of. Unity is incredibly important. In Psalm 133, the Bible says how wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity or harmony. For unity is as precious as the anointing oil that was poured over Aaron's head that ran down from his beard and onto the borders of his robe. 
And unity is as refreshing as the dew from Mount Hermon that falls on the mountains of Zion, and there the Lord has pronounced his blessing, even life everlasting. Now, if you read that passage and you're like me, you stop and you go, okay, the whole like uh, oil flowing down the beard onto your rope, you lost me, right? And the dew. I mean, there's some interesting poetic things that I don't necessarily say every day when Brady wakes, Brady, you're like the dew on Mount Hermon. You're so refreshing to me every day. That's just kind of weird. We don't talk like that. But here's the thing. The writer of this psalm puts it out that way, and I want to break it down. The oil that's on Aaron's beard and running all over, it represents an anointing. There's an anointing there, and with that anointing comes God's blessing and God's empowerment. And there is a direct link between unity and God's blessing. There's a direct link. For God's blessing to remain on a congregation of believers, they must be unified in heart and godly purpose. In Acts chapter 4, when the Bible is speaking about this early church that is worshiping together, it says that all the believers were united in heart and in mind, and then it closes with this. And God's great blessing, or much grace, was upon them all. And to me, I think that united in heart and God's blessing go hand in hand in the midst of a congregation, in the midst of a body of believers. In the dew that is spoke of in Psalm 133, it speaks of the refreshing quality that unity brings. It's uplifting and it's inspiring. And I think maybe we've all experienced like what a heavy atmosphere there is when there's tension or there's discord in a room. And unity is refreshing. It's freeing. It's liberating. The author Thomas Brooks has a book that's called Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. And in one of the chapters of that book, he breaks down 12 ways to preserve unity and I found an article from a guy named Tim Challies, and he broke these 12 down and then kind of gave some of his thoughts to go along with these 12. I thought it was so good that I wanted to read to you a few of these things as well as his take on some of them. And so in no particular order, he says some of these things, 12 ways to preserve unity. Spend more time considering evidence of grace in other Christians than you do pondering their sins and their weaknesses. Spend more time considering the evidence of grace in other Christians than you do pondering their sins and their weaknesses. Tim goes on to say, you as a Christian probably have a much greater ability to see weakness in other believers than you do to see their strengths. It is as if you use a magnifying glass when you look for weakness and a telescope when you are looking for grace. We have to kind of change our perspective on that if we're going to preserve unity. Consider that spiritual safety comes through spiritual unity. Consider that spiritual safety comes through spiritual unity. Christians united together are difficult to separate. They're difficult to break. They're difficult to pick off and destroy. It is when you isolate yourself by disrupting or denying unity that you become at most risk. Another one, count the cost of disunity. 
When relationships break down, disagreement inevitably follows, and every disagreement between Christians is a triumph of Satan. Let me read that part again. Every disagreement between Christians is a triumph of Satan. If he can start to cause disunity when it comes to the things that God wants to do, that's a triumph for him. If you descend into disunity, you hand Satan a victory. Maintain peace and deny Satan the triumph. Another one, meditate on God's many commands demanding that we love one another. When you feel that your heart has begun to turn against another Christian, this is the time to turn to the many commands to love one another and allow God's word to convict you of love's necessity. Here's another, consider your peaceful God. Consider God's character in the midst of that. God is the God of peace. Christ is the Prince of Peace, and the Spirit is the Spirit of Peace. And having made peace with God, having bowed before Christ, and having been indwelled by the Spirit, you now have the ability and ought to have the desire to be at true, deep, and lasting peace with other Christians. Another one says, be the first to seek peace and reconciliation. Earlier I read a verse that says, make every effort. So that sometimes I think in a lot of cases means you've got to be the first one to go and settle that. Be the first to seek peace and reconciliation. You are a Christian today only because God was the first to seek peace with you. You are now called and equipped to be the first to seek after peace and to attempt to pursue and maintain unity. As you do this, you have the high honor of acting as an imitator of God. The last one I want to highlight here is pursue humility. Pursue humility. Humility necessarily generates peace among Christians. Humility will prepare you to serve instead of be served to overlook an offense, to pursue every kind of unity, and to see others succeed where you fail, and to respond with joy and grace to every other possible source of disunity. And we have that from Paul when he writes to the church in Philippi in Philippians chapter 2. He says, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the Spirit, are your hearts tender and compassionate? And if you can check all of those things, he says, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. And don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. And then he says this, you must have the attitude of Christ. And then he goes on to explain what Christ has done for us. God left his position in heaven and came to this lowly earth to take upon our sin. He who knew no sin took upon sin so that you and I might be made right with God. And the Bible says now he's elevated He's given the name above all names. But we look at what Christ has done, and, and Paul says, have that same attitude, leaving your high place to reach out to somebody 
and reconcile that relationship. We need to have that attitude of Christ. And understanding that the gospel brings unity, that is, what was once separated from God, Christ came and made it possible for these two to come together, God and humanity, because of what Christ has done on the cross. And so the starting point to pursuing unity is what's the condition of your heart? Are there some things that we need to check right now and ask the Holy Spirit, reveal to me areas in which I need to grow in the direction of unity? And maybe you're listening and you're thinking, I don't know if I have a relationship with Christ. That's the foundation right there. And then from that foundation, the Holy Spirit will begin to work in your life and reveal to you areas in which your heart can change and God begins to shape you in the direction of, of unity. If you don't know Christ, he's extended that hand of reconciliation to you and says, because of what I've done for you, I will forgive you of your sin. And I want a relationship with you. So will you respond to that? The gospel brings unity. And the starting point of unity is a right relationship with God. And I just feel led to stop I'm not done with my message, but I feel led to stop and just pray right now for somebody that's feeling prompted to initiate this relationship. So will you bow your heads with me as we pray for that right now? Father, you are calling somebody into a right relationship right now. And there's somebody that's listening to this that they, they are feeling a prompting from your spirit to cry out to you, to call out to you and say, God, make me a new person. And if that's you, then I just ask you to pray with me in your heart and just say, Jesus, today I want to reconcile. Knowing that sin separates me from you, I ask for your forgiveness and that you would cleanse me and make me a new person. Today, I put my faith and my trust in you, and I want you to be the Lord and the Savior of my life. Change my heart and propel me into a new direction, one that is godly, filled with purpose, and one that advances your kingdom. And I pray this in your mighty name. Now with every head bowed and eye closed, I really sense to stop my message right there for somebody. And if you just prayed that with me, will you simply lift your hand and say, today I prayed that, that prayer to receive Christ. Thank you. Several hands. Anyone else? I just prayed to receive Christ. Thank you. Another hand. 
praise you, Father. Lord, we give you praise, honor, and glory in this moment as you've just received people unto you and they have a right relationship with you now. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. My final thing I want to do here is just really just highlight Romans chapter 15. If you want to turn there, verses 5 through 7, the Bible says, May God who gives this patient and encouragement help you to live in complete harmony with each other as is fitting for followers of Christ. So if I break that down and say God who gives patience and God who gives encouragement help us to live in complete harmony, for us to live in complete harmony, that tells me something. That reveals something to me. To live in complete harmony together, that means it's gonna take patience. We're gonna have to be patient with each other in our families, as spouses. We're gonna have to have some patience to be able to accomplish godly unity. And it also means that there's gonna be times where it's gonna be discouraging. Like, man, I thought we had progress, and then this happened. And the Bible just said God gives this encouragement. So God gives patience. He gives this encouragement. And that's to help us continue to strive for unity. Because if we don't have that patience, we'll just give up and say, I'm done with this. And if we're so discouraged with how the dynamics of that relationship are going, we'll say, I, I'm out. I don't want any more to do with this. God gives patience. He gives encouragement for harmony as is fitting for followers of Christ. Then all of you can join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, this is huge, therefore accept each other just as Christ has accepted you so that God will be given glory. Accept each other how God has accepted you little interactive moment. How did God accept us? What's that? Just as we are. Not all nice and neat and put together, but ugh. Like, that's how I came to Christ. And that's how all of us who have come to Christ started. The Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So that means that we have to say, you know what? I'm going to accept you just the way that you are. And I'm going to love you just the way that you are. And we extend that to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And as we do that, like I said earlier, the message of the kingdom advances. People are drawn to that. And when they see a group of people or a marriage or a family that they're just Everything is just in harmony, even though sometimes it can get crazy and all these things might come our way. But if they can see harmony, they go, what's different about that family? What's different about that church? It's a testimony. And it's my prayer that for us, Faith Community Church, that we would have marriages that speak Christ and we would have a family dynamic that speaks Christ and we have a church body that speaks Christ. And God will advance his kingdom. My last question is just simply for thought. Is 
are we as unified as the enemy? Is your marriage as unified as the enemy is in trying to destroy your marriage? As a couple, are you that unified? Are we as unified as a body as the enemy is in trying to tear this congregation down? And I realize that's a pretty in-your-face kind of question, but I want us to understand that the enemy is going to do everything he can to bring discord, to bring issues, disagreements, and all kinds of things that can frustrate the advancement of the kingdom. And we have to be proactive in saying, we've got to stay in this together. We've got to work through this together. And when we do that, not only do we advance the kingdom, but we, we take territory away from the enemy. And so there's a direct link there in being together. And I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of a congregation that is advancing the kingdom. And in order to do that, we have to be unified. We have to be together. And so to close, I want you to stand. Don't normally do this. If you're a guest, relax. We don't normally do this. But I want us to come together in the rows and hold hands as a congregation. Let's pray together. Father, we want to be united so we can glorify you, so we can advance your truth and we can advance your kingdom. Help us to live in harmony, accepting each other as you've accepted us. And Father, we pray for your protection and we pray for the unity that is spoke of in the scriptures. Lord, help us to be one. And we thank you for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.